was just sitting there for like 10 minutes taking this. And in my, in my head, I'm like asking questions like, does he know how hard this is to work and to stand in, on the same stage that he stands in and to be in his shadow? And so I said, I, I responded to him after a while. I was tired of it. <laughs> felt sorry for myself. And I was like, I finally kind of blurted out. I was like, do you know how hard it is to preach after you? And he looks back at me without even missing a beat. And he goes, I want it to be hard to preach after you. This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, episode number 187. This is the L3 Leadership Podcast. And now here is your host, Doug Smith. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the L3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I'm the founder of L3 Leadership. I hope you are continuing to enjoy the new intro with a British accent because it will not be in very many episodes, but I still love it, and I'm going to make the most of it while I'm working on a new intro, so enjoy it while you can. Uh, You're in for a real treat in today's episode. You're going to get to hear my interview with Clay Scroggins. Clay is currently the lead pastor at North Point Community Church, a church that averages over 12,000 in attendance. It's also the church that Andy Stanley Stanley started. You may have heard of him. Uh, Clay is also the author of the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, a book is, that is all about leveraging your influence when you lack authority. And it's a phenomenal book that I'd highly recommend. In the interview, you'll hear Clay talk about his journey from being a facilities intern to being the lead pastor at North Point. We also obviously go through his new book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And we talk about what it's like to lead in the shadow of a leader like Andy Stanley and so much more. But before we dive into the interview, just a few announcements. First, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to be surrounded by a community of leaders that will encourage you, that will challenge you, that will help train you and hold you accountable? I know that I have, and that's exactly why we created L3 Leadership Membership. We've created a community of leaders who will do all of those things. They'll encourage you, they'll challenge you, they'll help train you, and they'll hold you accountable. When you become a member of L3 Leadership, you'll have the ability to join or launch one of our mastermind groups. You'll have access to our community of leaders and access to the tools and resources you need to take your life and your leadership to the next level. To learn more about membership, go to l3leadership.org forward slash membership. I also want to thank our sponsor, Alex Landon. Alex is a full-time realtor with Keller Williams Realty. And if you're looking to buy or sell a house in the Pittsburgh market, Alex is your guy. He is a member and a supporter of L3 Leadership, and he would love the opportunity to connect with you. You can learn more about Alex and connect with him at pittsburghpropertyshowcase.com. With that being said, let's dive right into the interview with Clay, and I'll be back at the end with a few announcements. Right. Well, Clay, hey, thank you so much for being willing to do this interview. And let's just start off with you just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yep. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I, as we were talking a little bit earlier, I was telling you how much I like the brand. The brand L3 Leadership is super sharp, man. It's a good look. Um, Thank so you. thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. So my name is Clay Scroggins. I am a, uh, I'm a husband of one woman and I, I really love her. I think today she loves me. Uh, it's an, it's an everyday, uh, everyday deal. And, uh, we've got, we just had our fifth child. Um, he is about to be four months old. So it is busy at our house. Uh, as soon as I leave work today, I will go home and probably kick a soccer ball or play basketball in the driveway. Hopefully it's sunny enough to play outside. Um, I am a pastor. I've been a pastor my pretty much my whole working career. I grew up in the great state of Alabama, a little town called Tuscaloosa. They play football in Tuscaloosa. Quite proud of their football. They play football in Pittsburgh too. That's right. Um, 
and I moved to Atlanta to go to college, uh, majored in engineering, uh, quickly realized that was not for me and decided to do ministry. And I've been doing uh, pastoral work ever since. That's great. And so you, you're the lead pastor now at North Point, but you started off as the facility facilities intern. And I'm just curious, what do you wish people knew about that journey and maybe some of the things you learned along the way? Sure. Um, yeah, when I was, uh, I think I was 18, 1998, I was a freshman <laughs> at Georgia Tech. And that summer I wanted to, um, I had started volunteering with our high school ministry and I wanted a job. I wanted an internship in our student ministry. And uh, they, they, there was one position and they had already filled it. And so they said, hey, we don't have that role open anymore, but we have a, we have an in, a, a contract job basically um, on our facilities team. And so I was like, sure, I'll do it, which um, my parents were not totally thrilled. <laughs> working, I mean, hey, and there's no shame in working facilities. It's a great job. Right. But I just think they, I don't know, they, that's not exactly the way they saw my career moving. But um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that and it taught me a lot. And uh, I mean, I think the, I, I included that in my bio when I had to submit that for this book, um, honestly, because I think a lot, you know, I have this title now, lead pastor, which um, it, it essentially is a campus pastor. We've got six Atlanta area churches and I lead one of our churches, um, but I have a lot of bosses still. And so I think um, I wanted to express through my bio that I, I have been on a journey of, uh, and I understand what it's like to not have authority. And, and what I have learned is no matter how much authority you have, you never have enough Hmm. that you're always going to want more. And no matter how big your territory is, um, there's something in us that wants more. And too often we use the authority that we don't have to keep us from doing what we should be doing or from leading the way we could be leading. And that's really what this book is about. Yeah. So you wrote the book, it's called how to lead when you're not in charge. And so you kind of talked a little bit about why you wrote it and you talk about how great leaders don't wait for authority. They unleash their influence wherever they are. I love that. And what are maybe one or two of the key concepts that you want leaders to grasp when they read this book? Yeah. I mean, the biggest, the biggest uh, light bulb moment for me uh, was just the, the, uh, constant uh, momentum in all of our lives to pair authority and leadership. It's just so easy for us to couple the position with the leader or the title with the leader or the office with the leader. And that's just dangerous on multiple levels that if we, if we think that leadership is authority, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to make us, it, it, to anyone who's in a in the middle of an organization, or maybe you feel like you're at the bottom of an organization, or maybe you're close to the top of an organization, but you're not at the top. Uh, if you couple authority with leadership, then you will either wait to lead until you get to be in charge, or you'll leave too soon thinking you've got to start your own thing so that you can be in charge before you can start leading. So that that's been the biggest um, that's really the foundation of, of the book. That's the, the big premise of the book is 
authority and influence, authority and leadership, um, they are not the same thing. That leadership is ultimately it's influence, not authority. And if it's influence, then you can have influence from whatever seat you're in. So the 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 really the that's the the um the nuts and bolts or the premise or the hypothesis at the beginning of the book. And then the rest of the book is, so now what? So if you want to cultivate influence, what do you need to do? What, what is, what does a person do if they look in the mirror in the morning and say, what, what should I do today to cultivate influence? And that's really what the book is about. Yeah. And I'm just curious so over your journey at North point, or I guess your whole life, you know, is this something that you just always operated out of, or is this something that you had to learn uh, throughout the years? And if so, you know, where were you when you came into the organization? Did you believe this or did you have to learn it? No, I, 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 I think I believed what most of us believe, which is whoever's in charge is the leader <laughs> and everyone else is just waiting to get to be in charge. I mean, that's kind of what I thought as a kid. I think as a kid, I always wanted to be a leader and I just always thought, well, who are the leaders? Well, the coach is the leader and she's in charge. The teacher's the leader and he's in charge. The principal's the leader and she's in charge. The pastor's the leader and he's in So, you know, it goes on and on and on. So I think I've, I think I grew up believing what all of us are tempted to grow up to believe, which is whoever has the title is the one that's the leader. Uh, but for me, it was, I think it was the disappointment of promotion that taught me this, hmm. ironically. Um, I remember being a student. I was a student pastor at high school. I was the high school director at one of our campuses and I got moved to a bigger campus and it was more authority. And I remember when I was in the previous job, I would think, man, if only I was at a bigger place, I'd be able to do more. And then I got to a bigger job and I was still, there was still a boss. And so then it was, man, if only I was the director over this location and then I became a campus pastor. And then it was, man, if only I was the director over a bigger location, then I got moved to a bigger location. And I think finally just the, the disappointment or the, I, I honestly, I mean, it was a conversation that I had. I, I worked for a guy named Andy Stanley. Who's a, um, he's a pretty high level leader. Yeah, who's that? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, some people it's, you know, in the church, in, in the church world, even there are people that they just run in different streams and they don't sure. run in streams. They swim in different streams, <laughs> in different lanes, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so not everybody knows Andy, but yeah, Andy's a pretty big deal to some, to a lot of people and, um, working for him, I had a pretty tough conversation that I wrote about at the beginning of the book where I was, bl- I was, he was asking me why something had gone wrong. And my temptation was to, I was just blaming because when, when you're not in charge and you think you need more authority in order to lead, that's going to be your pl- proclivity is to blame. It's so natural to go, well, yeah, if you'd have made me the boss, it wouldn't be like this. And so I don't have enough authority. And since I don't have authority over that department, that's probably why that happened. And that's what I was doing. And so he basically was helping me smell my own odor in a very kind and compassionate way. And so that, that was kind of the first time when it dawned on me, oh, wow, I, am, I have bought a lie. I've believed a myth of leadership that you got to be in charge in order to lead. Maybe the truth is I could start leading right now but I've got to learn how to cultivate more influence to do that. So that, that was the journey of how I bumped into this pretty significant principle in my life. Yeah. And so how did you start to, to change and grow? And, and really when, how, when you're operating under what you understand today, how does your leadership day to day look different than it did when, when you believed that it was based on authority? 
Yeah. Um, you know, we're, I work in a multi-site organization. And so, um, I feel like what I have learned, uh, the, the idea of multi-site church has definitely accelerated it because we are trying to move in concert with five other churches. We've got six churches in the Atlanta area. And so we've got six, you know, I sit in a meeting with six other or five other campus pastors and then our boss, and we'll make a decision about what are we going to do for Easter? What are we going to do this summer? What are we going to do in the fall to kick off the school year? What are we going to do at Christmas? And whoever is the most persuasive usually wins the meeting. And I think that's what I have learned most is what does it take? You know, our, our, our culture is very um, concerned about swag. You know, what does it take to have more swag? But I'm a, I have just learned that what we really want is sway, that sway is more powerful than swag. And sway is the ability to move a room. It's the ability to go, hey, I'm not in charge of this room, but because of the influence that I have, because of the respect that I've built, because of the relationship that I've built, I have the ability, when I throw an idea out, I have the ability to explain it. I've got the results to back it up. I've prepared and I have the ability to sway the room toward the direction that I believe we should go. And so that's the, I feel like that's how it's affected me most is I've just started realizing, oh, wow, maybe I don't need to be in charge. Maybe I could do everything that I think I want to do or feel like I need to do without the authority. And I really believe that's true. I mean, the greatest movements in the world have been done by people who did not have the title. They just had the most sway. So I really believe that uh, learning the art, the art of sway is what influence teaches us. Yeah. I'm just curious when it comes to building influence and, you know, you're in that room with the five other campus pastors trying to, to have, be the most influential. How much does personality play into that? Again, I don't know if you guys take multiple assessments at North Point, but mm-hmm. I think of the disc profile, you know, do you find that dominant personality is usually sure. the one that ends up winning? Or do you find if you follow that system that you were just talking about doing your homework, et cetera, any personality can win the room and sway? Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to flip the question and ask you, but I don't, I don't want to Jesus juke you, but <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Do, does a D have more influence than an I or an S? They probably come off that way eventually, but no, I, th- I think if you do your homework and follow a system, anyone can influence. That's how I feel. I mean, yeah. I think yes, up front, a D might naturally initially have more influence, but I think that's a, that's really well said that over the long term, sometimes D's wear people out. Yeah. And so, a, you know, somebody who has that dominant personality, they've got to learn how they can't roll in large on every decision. Because if they do, they're just going to wear people out. And, people, and, and eventually what will happen is people won't invite them to the meeting. Mm-hmm. People will start working around them. And so I deal with Ds all the time who have to struggle with that. But then, you know, the same thing is true. If, you're, if you've got a way like... Um, what are you just out of curiosity? I'm more... Uh, what, what, are, what are the... What's the, I don't know the language of the disc... D we don't is dominant. I is introverted, or I'm sorry, the extrovert life of the party. C is the detailed, like everything has to be right. Yeah. And S is just calm. They want everything the same. Yeah. We use a color. Yeah. It's called the color test, but it's, it's, you know, all personality theory from what I understand, it all has the same root. And these four basic personality types are very common in every, pretty much every assessment. Um, but we use uh, the colors, red, yellow, 
uh, blue and green. And so they coordinate with the disc. The D is red. The I is yellow. So fun loving um, needs affection, attention, affirmation, uh, life of the more of the life of the party kind of person. The um, S is that's the more detailed person. I uh, see. Sorry. So uh, S would be the more calm. Um, we, we call that color green. So that person's like super laid back. Um, a lot of times the person that has that personality, they will, they can morph. They have the ability to be flexible. So you might actually see them if there's no other red in the room, they might take on the attributes of the red if they need to, or the same with the life of the party. If everybody's just kind of chill and not having a good time and they want to bring that, that, um, that personality has the ability to do that. And then the C is the more detailed, uh, is that what you said? C is the detailed. Yep. Um, we, we call it the, the test we use that that one's blue, but it's the same as the, same the same animals is not the, the golden retriever, the otter, the beaver, the lion, yeah. they correspond with those as well. Um, but I'm more, I have a, I'm high. Yeah. I'm high. Uh, I would be high. I, and maybe, a I, I don't know. My wife would say I have a, some, some, uh, I have a, just a splash of D <laughs> I would say I have a good bit of, um, S but I have learned D because it does feel, it feels like what leaders do. And I feel like I grew up in a, I grew up in a family with a lot of, um, a lot of military and a lot of coaches and those kinds of personalities typically are highly dominant. And I think I saw that as a kid and thought that's what leadership looks like, which is not necessarily true uh, because as we have already pointed out, leadership is influence and leadership is not the one who talks the loudest but leadership's the one who has the most influence in the room. So um, that's me. What's yours? I would guess you are, you've, you've got a high level of detail um, and you have, is that true? Do you have some? No, no, I have. So I'm, I'm very, I'm like I off the chart. So extroverted off the charts, life of the party affirmation. I have a little bit of D and I have like no S or C. So uh, I guess, suppose I've been told that occasionally, like I can seem like I'm organized and that's me faking it. But if you really like look under the hood, it's like, yeah, I don't need to be dealing with details. Doug, that's incredible. I know this is not what the podcast is about, but just all of the level of detail that you had in regard to your podcast is very impressive. Okay. I think that- Well, that, I guess I'm faking that. So that <laughs> thanks for being out. impressed. I, I, I work with a professional coach who says that, you know, all of us should find a job where we're operating in our flow. We're operating in what, I, what, is, what comes natural to me because I want to, I want to, I want to find a job that uses my skill set that when I'm having to operate for me or in your case, in a highly detailed, administrative, uh, very thorough, I've got to pay up high attention to detail. It's like writing with the other hand, hmm. which I thought was a great example that I'm right handed. So of course, it's, it's come, you know, I don't even have to think about when I write, but if I were to try to write my name with my left hand, I would have to think about it. I'd have to be very intentional and I would, it would, it would wear me out after a while because I'm not, it's not in my flow. And I think that's, I think that's a, for, for me, that's been very helpful. I can do detailed things. Yeah. I've, I mean, I ha- of course you got to learn to keep your inbox clean. You know, if your inbox is a mess, your life's a mess, you know, yeah, yeah. but if I have to do that all day, it, it, it would wear me out because it, it's not my natural flow. Yeah. Uh, I'll just leave this open-ended. I wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like to to lead under the shadow of someone as legendary for those who know him as Andy Stanley. And uh, you and multiple other people have to do that. And I guess I'll just leave it open-ended. What's it like leading under under Andy and in his shadow? 
Well, it is the most common question that I get. <laughs> sure. and it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, it, I mean, I work here because I work for Andy Stanley. I mean, that I, I love the guy. I mean, he's a, he is a fantastic, um, he's just a fantastic person. So, you know, all of us, you know, I think character is probably the most, I don't know, it might be the, maybe the most influential attribute that any one of us could have is deep rooted character. And that's what he has. I mean, he just is a, he is, uh, he's going to do the right thing. And he's, he's not shady. I think uh, Bill Hybels told him a couple of years ago, he said, the thing I like about you is that you haven't taken the crazy pill that a lot of pastors get famous and it's like they take a crazy pill and they start doing like weird things like buying jets and like building humongous houses and like, you know, getting everybody to stand up when they walk in the room and, you know, getting the <laughs> right up front, which I, I'm sorry if that's the kind of church that no, no. Uh, any of your listeners are a part of, but I, he's just not that way. Like he makes everybody call him Andy. He doesn't make everybody call him Andy. I mean, if somebody called him pastor Andy, he'd be fine with it. He's not going to correct anybody, but he doesn't, um, he just doesn't do a lot of the, some of the stuff that in the corporate world would be seen as odd. I mean, even like a sabbatical, you know, like, you know, there aren't bankers don't get sabbaticals, you know, I mean, granted ministry requires a different level of emotional health that not every profession does. So I can understand why someone would take a sabbatical, but Andy just, um, he just is a super humble, wants to do the right thing. Great character kind of guy. So that's probably the first thing. Second thing is he's a listener. The guy cares deeply what I think, which he does not need to care about what I think, but he does. And I love his statement. I've heard him say it at leadership conferences that um, if you fail to listen, you will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. Wow. I mean, that's like a drop the mic statement, you know? <laughs> but it's true. I mean, he yeah. sits in meetings and lets people like, and ask questions and is genuinely interested in what do people five, six, seven layers beneath him in our organization what do they think? Do they like, do they think we're going in the right direction? What are they feeling? What are they seeing? I mean, he's, he just asks a lot of, he's deeply curious, ruthlessly curious about that. Um, that's super inspiring. Um, and then he's just, I mean, to me, he's the goat of communication. I mean, he is the greatest of all time. I mean, he's just a great, he works so hard to find the simplest ways to say the most profound things. That's what he does really, really well. And it. Um, it's a couple of years ago, he opened up the years, our first staff meeting. And he was like, Hey, you know, I'm so grateful for all of you. And this is such a great organization. I just feel so grateful to get to be a part of it. And the reason I'm in charge because I got here first and um, says that all the time, you know, which everybody's like, no, it's because you're the best. But, and then he said, but I just want to let everybody know that I am more motivated this year to get better than I have ever been before because of how great you guys are. And I, when he said that, I just was like, oh, crap. <laughs> because it's like Michael Jordan saying, like after he just won his fifth title, coming back being like, hey, just want to let you know, I'm going to be in the gym at 6 a.m. every day hustling. Because <laughs> he's already the best. And I'm like, now, you know, now he's more motivated than everybody else. And he's working. So he, he's just, he's inspiring. He's a great leader to work for. Um, and he, he's demanding. I mean, he has a high bar of excellence for himself and he has one for me. And so we've had some, uh, I mean, we've had some meetings that, uh, have been super challenging. And, um, at one point he was kind of, he was giving me a hard time about this sermon that I had preached. And, um, I was just sitting there like listening to him. Like he just kept saying like, 
but why did you do that? I don't understand. Why did you choose to do that? And because I'd put this story at this certain spot and he thought I should have put it somewhere else. <laughs> and I, I was just sitting there for like 10 minutes taking this. And in my, in my head, I'm like asking questions like, does he know how hard this is to work and to stand in, on the same stage that he stands in and to be in his shadow? And so I said, I, I responded to him after a while. I was tired of it. <laughs> felt sorry for myself. And I was like, I finally kind of blurted out. I was like, do you know how hard it is to preach after you? And he looks back at me without even missing a beat. And he goes, I want it to be hard to preach after you. Wow. And I was like, crap, like, look at that. You know, like such a great, I mean, it didn't feel good at the time, but, um, he just, he, he wants, he wants good things for the people around him, which is great, but it, but it's challenging. I mean, it's, it, it's a high bar. So he's, he's fantastic. He's a great, great, great boss. Yeah. So again, just open-ended question about leadership development at North Point, both from how Andy's developing you guys as he hands off authority to you guys and responsibility, and also how you're doing that with the next generation. What does leadership development look like for you and, and the young leaders at North Point? This is a simple answer and it's not profound, but this is what he does. He, I, I believe I heard him say this yesterday at a and a of some of our new staff. They asked a very similar question and he said, I feel like the job of the manager is to make as few decisions as possible. And that was it. And everybody was like, and, and yeah. but, but honestly, that is it that he, he listens, he asks questions when you ask his advice, he'll give you advice, but his goal is to help you and help is to walk alongside of you and help you learn to make the kinds of decisions that great leaders make. And, and the problem with most managers is that they're trying to force decisions down people's throat and that it doesn't, none of us, we don't like that and it doesn't help either that the, you know, sometimes the best lessons we learn are on the mistakes that we make, but you got to give people the freedom to be able to do that. And so that's, and, and honestly, I, I, it was, it was helpful for me to hear that because I had a meeting with him a couple of months ago where I, I needed some guidance on some stuff and I took him like five topics. I had it written down, I had the agenda printed out because I mean, when you get time with him, I mean, you don't want to waste it. And so I came with like the agenda printed out and I'm like, Hey, I got these five things I want to ask you about, you know? He's like, yeah, go for it. He's like, thanks for asking me. This is great. Like, what do you got? You know, so I was like, all right, this one, this one, this one, this one. Asked him all five. And he didn't answer any of them. <laughs> he was like, ah, oh, man, that's good. I haven't, that's, I, I can see what you're thinking. Yeah. Have you thought about this? And well, what about, what, what do you think about this? And have you thought what's going to happen there? And he just asked a bunch of questions and told me a couple thoughts he had about it. But at the end, after every one of them, he was like, ah, yeah, that's good. I think that's, I, I, I can see what, I, I think you're on the right track. I think that's good. And I remember getting in the car after the lunch being like, that was a waste of time. Like what? I mean, either he's totally disinterested <laughs> or he doesn't know, which I don't think that's the answer or he's up to something. And I think, you know, hearing him yesterday answer the question that way, I think he really is going, look, I have asked you to do the job you're doing because I believe in you and I want to help you but you've got to learn how to make these kinds of decisions. And so for me to make the decision, I fill up that space that might've been space for you to learn how to grow. So I don't know. I don't know if that's right, but that's what he, that's what he's doing. And so of course, like watching him model that, that's what I try to do with the people that work for me. Now, sometimes it can be frustrating because you're like, Hey, I need some advice, you know, tell me what would you do? 
but we there's a culture here really waiting for the person to ask so we try to model and teach hey you should be curious you should be constantly asking your boss what would you do differently if you were me anything i'm doing that you would change what do you think about this plan here's three solutions which one would you choose uh so that that's that's the in general that's the development plan that we have around here it's it's uh self-driven i would say well, with the time that we have left, I want to dive into what I call the lightning round. A bunch of fun questions. I know you're really excited. Uh, <laughs> Doug, this lightning round. Is, Let's go. It's dope. <laughs> I mean that. These questions, I was like, dang, I'm going to rip off all of these. All right, go for it, man. Let's see what you got with you. So we'll just start off. What is one belief or behavior that's changed your life? I mean, yeah, that I, I would say the belief that has changed my life more than anything is that I am God's son. And he is a perfect father and that he died for me. I think that drives me more than anything else in life. Well, when I am at my best, that is driving me. That is what's filling me up. That's the air I breathe. If you could put a quote on a billboard for the whole city of Atlanta and the whole world to read, what would it say? Gosh, I didn't read that last part. I was, I just read what, you know, I I read the question is what's your favorite quote? But putting that'll work in front of everyone. Have you seen the movie Wonder? I just, oh, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I got done with that movie. I didn't want to watch it. My wife was like, hey, I got this movie we're going to watch as a family. And I was like, I don't want to watch it. She's like, no, we're going to watch it as a family. I was like, okay. So I tried to resist it. And then I got sucked in. By the end of it, I was like, every human on <laughs> see this movie. Yeah. That quote at the end, well, there's, there's a couple quotes in the movie. But the one at the end, well, I'll give you two. When the principal tells that bully, he can't change the way he looks, but you can change the way you see. Hmm. That's phenomenal because that's so true that we think when we uh, come up to a problem, we think this person needs to change. But the other answer is you could also see differently and that might change everything about the relationship. So that one's amazing. But then the one at the very end where Julia Roberts tells him, be kind for everyone is fighting a battle. Come on. That one. Who, who who said that? Is that like Oscar Wilde or somebody like that? Probably, yeah. I, I should know. get to the bottom of that quote. But that I love that quote. Be kind for everyone is fighting a battle. As a pastor, that is super helpful. I mean, I would imagine in the work that you do, that yep. that's really helpful on a day-to-day basis just to Absolutely. believe, look, humans are most, pretty much all of us are doing what we think is best for us. Now, it might be completely irrational, but we somehow think it's going to work. And most people are not like, man, I'm going to try to ruin this guy's life today. You know, most people are just, they just don't know, or they don't know better, or they've never been taught, or they're protecting themselves because of some scars that they've got. So anyway, I love that quote. What's the best purchase you've made in the last year for $100 or less? I mean, the AirPods are one fifty nine. <laughs> I just I interviewed Les Pair before this, and he did the exact same thing. Yeah, they're like those. I don't. I didn't, I bought them for my wife. I don't have them yet. They are fantastic. Um, this is maybe silly, but um, I I couldn't figure out when I'm driving. I don't want to be holding my cell phone, but I put it down. There was no good place to put it in my car, and I bought one of these little. Um, 
like it's like a sticky pad thing. Yeah. And put it right there uh, on top of the console and it just sits right there. And it's so awesome because it just keeps the phone right there. So that's my favorite. I enjoy that one every day. Other than your own books and, and probably even Andy's, what books do you find yourself giving away most often? Jim Elliott's two uh, the were kind of biographies or diaries through Gates of Splendor and In the Shadow of the Almighty, those two. What are your top two favorite podcasts at the moment, if you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I do listen to a lot. Right now, it's um, Hidden Brain. Is that NPR, I believe? And then I can never say the word. I trip over it every time, but Invisib- Invisibilia. Is that how you say it? I don't know. You know I'm not familiar. It's, it's NPR as well. They're both like, um, they just take interesting topics like, where do people's emotions come from and how do they actually happen? They'll take a topic like that. And it's just interesting. I find it, it's actually kind of helpful for sermon writing because it gives you like kind of an offbeat view of jealousy or something kind of normal that people deal with. When you get to spend time with a great leader, what's one or two go-to questions that you have that you always ask them? This is one recently that I have been asking, not just great leaders, but people, I mean, it, really anyone. Um, I like, I, so I, I was at this meeting the other day um, and this, this, there, was, there were three of us and this one mutual friend wanted to introduce me to this other guy. And so we get done with it. We're like 10 minutes away from the thing being done. And the guy goes, Hey, I know we're about to wrap up. I got to just, I just wanted to ask you guys, how have you experienced this lunch today? How have you experienced this meeting? And I was like, this is kind of weird. And so, that, but then we went around and shared and it, so it came to me and I was like, I mean, this has been really, like, I, I, honestly, I kind of came into this, not really knowing what to expect, but I've been pleasantly surprised and it's been very encouraging to get to hear your story. And then he shared and he was like, yeah, I feel very inspired. And I, it was just a, um, I have never heard some, it was basically like he sent out an evaluation survey after, <laughs> before the meeting was over, you know? Yeah. But the cool, That's and so I, I asked him about it. I was like, I was like, Hey, I got to ask you what, what was that about? You know? And he said, he's, he does a lot of personal coaching and he's like, that's a question that I use at the end of every session because it allows people to, you know, a lot of times we just leave the meeting and you don't know, did that go well? Or was the person upset or were they mad? Or did I say something that offended them? You don't know. But if you give them a chance at the end to say, well, um, I thought it went well. Um, I'm, I, I was a little frustrated that we didn't get to this topic or whatever. Then you learn that and you get the chance to go, man, I'm so sorry. Maybe we need to revisit that next time we meet. So um, I've been using it lately whenever I do one-on-one meetings with people that I work with or even when I sit down with a great leader like Dougie Fresh. I ask questions like, Hey, how's your experience today? Cause you just get to hear what, how did they, what did they think about this? So that you can kind of. Yeah. Well, I'll ask you that in, uh, in about three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's the most worthwhile investment of your time and money right now? Kid, my kids, man. Well, I would say my marriage and then my kids. I mean, when, when you're, when my marriage is good, everything in the world can be awful and everything's going to be fine. But the opposite is true. When me and my wife are in a good place, uh, or we're, when we're not in a good place, I I, uh, I heard Tim Keller say one time, I row out into the world without confidence. Hmm. And I feel like the opposite is true, that when you feel secure in your relationship, you can row out into even the rockiest of 
most unsteady of waters and you can feel secure. So I would say my marriage and then the best investment on my kids. I mean, um, we, we, I just, we're pretty convinced that the best thing we're going to do with our life on this planet are going to be the investment we make in our kids. If you can go back and have a coffee with 20 year old or I guess 18 year old intern clay, I don't know how old you were. Uh, what would you tell him? I would probably say, uh, I think I would help him learn quicker that he's not always right. Hmm. Do you have any unusual habits that enable you to be effective or successful? I get to work really early and I feel like that has been a game changer. So what's what's really early. I got to work this morning at 5 a.m. Wow. I saw a guy this morning who, uh, a coworker of mine who he's like, man, I tried to, I, I tried to beat you to work. What? I, he got here at seven 30. He's like, I couldn't even beat you. What time do you get here? And I, I actually <laughs> told him that I got here at five 30 because I, I don't know. I didn't even want to tell him that I got here at five, but <laughs> I just learned if I don't, I got to get everything done before my, all my meetings start. And if I can do that, well, first of all, I get more done. But secondly, um, my meetings are better because my mind is more clear that when I'm in meetings face to face with our team or with a one-on-one with one of our people that works for me, and I've got eight other things on my mind of things that I've got to get done, I can't be clear headed. And, um, so I know that, that, and i it's also the time when I write, I've got to write a lot in my job, whether it's communication or preaching or anyway. So great. One day looking back on your life, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want your legacy to be? And then if you could wrap up with telling us how anyone listening to this can connect with you, yep. that'd be great. Oh, I think, I mean, I love what Paul said that everything is rubbish compared to the beauty of knowing Jesus. I think that's what I would hope that people would think about me. And I, I, of course, I'm supposed to say that as a pastor, but I really, I mean, that's really genuine. That's what I believe. Um, all of, you know, I love Dr. Martin Luther King. I've got this, um, quote that I'm staring at on my wall from the last sermon that he did. It's called the drum major instinct. And it's where he said, listen, one day at my funeral, they're going to stand up and they're going to do a eulogy. And I don't want them to talk about the PhD that I got or the Nobel Peace Prize that I won. I want them to say that I was a drum major for justice and for goodness and for righteousness and ultimately a drum major for Jesus. And um, that's the that's what I want. I want people to say he loved his savior and tried to live his life to image him in his daily relationships. Uh, I would love to connect and you can do so. Uh, I'm on Twitter and the Instagrams. I'm not on Facebook. I have a author page on Facebook, I guess, but, um, it's at Clay Scroggins and I have a website, clayscroggins.com. And, I hate that. I hate the name of the URL, clayscroggins.com, but it felt odd to call it anything else. So yeah, yeah. They made me get it when this book came out, but um, I have a newsletter, uh, like a weekly communication that I send out to people that I'm currently unpacking a um, plan that I use on how to have a hard conversation with your boss. Hmm. And so um, if you go to the website and put your email address in, I'd love to, that's probably the easiest way to stay connected. 
Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Clay Scroggins. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find ways to connect with Clay and links to everything that we discussed in the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 187. I want to thank our sponsor, Henny Jewelers. They are a jeweler owned by my friend and mentor, John Henny. My wife, Laura, and I got our engagement and wedding rings through Henny Jewelers, and we just think they're an incredible organization. Not only do they have great jewelry, but they also invest in people. They give every engaged couple a book to help them prepare for their marriage, and we just love that. If you're in need of a good jeweler, check out hennyjewelers.com. As always, if this podcast added value to your life, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a rating and review and share this on social media. It helps spread the word and uh, get this po- gets this podcast out there. So thank you in advance for that. And thanks for being a listener. We never take one of you for granted. And if you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing here at L3 Leadership, you can simply sign up for our email list at l3leadership.org. As always, I like to end with a quote, and I'll quote Henry Cloud, who recently said this. He said, The worst thing you can have when you're headed down the road with the wrong person or strategy is hope that it will turn into the right road. I love that. The worst thing you can have when you're down the wrong road with the wrong person or strategy is hope that it will turn into the right road. Thanks for listening and being a part of L3 Leadership. Laura and I appreciate you so much, and we'll be back next episode.